0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The college baseball season is underway. We had a fun weekend with the Desert Invitational out in Phoenix. Jim was there. I know I watched quite a bit of it, Jonathan. Oh, sure. Sure. It doesn't uh,
1: sound sincere. We're going to have to are come you, up with a quiz. We're, we're like a minute I, into the podcast and you're doubting my sincerity, Jim. You're on the hot seat.
2: I am. I, I'm going to come up with a quiz and test your knowledge
1: of what happened. In the, we will see how much. In the Desert Invitational, we'll see how much you watched. There's a difference between my sincerity in watching and testing my memory about anything. And you know okay. better than that. Fair. Okay. Coming out firing.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll also... Uh, <laughs> We'll talk about some guys who are not at the Desert Invitational across the college baseball landscape. Look at how some of the top prospects did in opening weekend. And we're going to talk to a guy who did pretty well, the top-ranked pitching prospect on our Top 100 Draft Prospects list, Chase Dolander. He was at the Desert Invitational. Jim got to see him, also got to talk to him after he threw. So we will uh, have a chat with Chase. And then we are going to shift our focus to spring training and we're going to look at some prospects who could be vying for roster spots in spring training and we're going to wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag which will lead to us telling you who are the favorites to win rookie of the year in both the american and national league this year all right jim we know you watched a lot of the desert invitational how many games did you, you called four games
2: yeah, four games, doubleheader the first day, and then the Saturday night game. All those were on MLB Network. And then I did the, the streaming broadcast with um, Tennessee playing UC San Diego on Sunday.
0: Yeah, so we had Tennessee, UC San Diego, Michigan, Michigan State, Grand Canyon. Who am I missing? There were seven teams, right? Do you say Fresno State? Did I did not the- say Fresno State. Okay. Tennessee, the highest-ranked team there, was. Was anyone else there ranked in the top twenty-five? I don't know. At least the games
2: I did, they were not. I I don't think they were. And and it's interesting. Tennessee actually went one and two, so they didn't tear up the tournament. Yeah, they're still figuring out their lineup. I mean, they they literally don't have a player in their lineup who started half of Tennessee's games last year. So like they're they're working through some things. And Malia I guess he wasn't ruled ineligible. He was, the NCAA did not make a ruling on his eligibility. So Malia Huna, who we have ranked as a potential first round pick in the draft, I think he's number 22 on our top 100 prospects list, found out a couple hours before Tennessee's first game that he had not been cleared to play by the NCAA. And and I'm kind of baffled as to, like, did the NCAA just find out Malia Huna was (laughs) was on Tennessee? Like, he transferred there last summer. And unfortunately for Malia, he's from Hawaii. He had like 30 friends and family fly over to see him play obviously this was going to be the closest he was going to be to hawaii all season and didn't find out until the you know a couple hours before the game that he wouldn't be in the lineup
0: yeah that's rough i mean that was that was disappointing you know from a spectator standpoint not being able to see one of the top draft prospects there but man that that personal aspect of it that's that's rough i know uh, you guys had colton wong on uh, on the broadcast to talk a little bit about him and their relationship
2: yeah, you know, I think Ahuna, you know, played in the program, I think it's Colton's father mm-hmm. has yeah. out there, yeah. that it came out of, and, uh, you know, he's, I mean, really supportive of Mali and, you know, all of Hawaiian baseball, those guys band together very closely, we, it was cool, I mean, we'll talk about the players, but we actually had a pretty cool guest uh, for the for the in-game interviews, we had, we had, uh, we had um, Colton Wong, as you mentioned, that same game, we had Chase Dolander, that was Tennessee's second game after he pitched first game, and We'll hear from him a little bit later on our own podcast. He's a great interview. And then the first day, Juan Soto was in the house. That's right. Because he's close to Chip Hale, who coached him with the Nationals, and and told uh, this great story. He, he first thought Chip hated him when he first came up because Chip was hard on him. <laughs> and then all the players thought that Chip loved Juan, because he was always sticking up for him with the umpires. And Chip Hale said, well, look, he's like 19 years old. I have to argue for him. You guys are older. You can take care of yourselves. And they actually, the players made a jersey that said Hale Soto on the back of it. And I had one made up. And Chip, when he wanted to rally the team, would wear the jersey in the dugout. Now, he, he couldn't wear it openly, but he would have his jacket over it. And if he felt like the team needed to, like a little shot, shot of adrenaline, he would show the the, the, the Hale Soto jersey. But but one was great. And then we had Daniel Suzak who... If playing doesn't work out, I could probably just start working for MLB Network right away. (laughs) He was doing play-by-play, providing color. We had a pitching change, and uh, we were like, can we bring you back? And uh, he's like, yeah, I'll come back. And uh, as we're going to commercial, you hear Cizak go, bring on the next victim. (laughs) So, I mean, it was – the games were great. Atmosphere was great, and we had some good guests. But we'll, we'll talk about the players on the field, obviously.
1: I'll just, I was chiming quickly because of looking at some of the preseason rankings, the only, Grand Canyon is on the collegiate baseball list at thirty sixth, so they were they were in the sort of hovering around being ranked. Yeah, and then as you said, Jim,
0: Tennessee just went one and two there, but man, that pitching staff is something else. The potential number one overall pick this year, and Chase Dolander, and then a couple guys who I don't know. If would necessarily be in the running for one one next year. It's it's a little early to no. Chase Burns would.
2: Chase Burns would be in the running for one one next year.
0: Yeah, I mean they have a, they have a couple guys that are considered sort of top ten in next year's draft class. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's interesting. Like you know, they went fifty seven nine last year
2: and had the best team in college baseball and led the nation in homers and ERA, which hasn't been done since the NCAA has been keeping records back to seventy two but they lost 2 out of 3 to Notre Dame they didn't go to Omaha and they're back this year they have the whole rotation back you know we saw Chase Dolander like they weren't letting guys go deep into games you know first start of season you know Dolander i think he would tell you well it's it's an interview we'll have with him coming up like he wasn't at his sharpest he gave up um he gave up a home run guy jumped on a fastball tony bullard and then after that chase was locked in like i think he'll throw harder but you could see the slider was pretty sharp he struck out, I think it was, what, seven and four and two-thirds innings, gave up two runs and, and lost three to one. He actually got outpitched by T.J. Nichols of Arizona, who we could talk about. And then on day two, Chase Burns at Grand Canyon went four and two-thirds. Man, his slider. We, we were interviewing Jack Wilson, another great guest, father of Jacob, who's the best player on Grand Canyon. He'll be a first-round pick. And uh, I forget who Chase Burns was making look bad with sliders, but Jack isn't going, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, like well, that, that, that's ridiculous. Like, and, you know, and he's a potential normal pick. And then, so they lost that game too. They lost that game four to three. And then on, on Sunday, Drew Beam, uh, who's a sophomore, and he'll be eligible next year and probably a top two round guy came out and we didn't have velocities. Um, Cause we were at Sloan park and none of, the, none of that stuff was hooked up. But, you know, Drew Bean throws 92-94 and throws multiple pitches for strikes, and he threw six shutout innings and was in control the whole time. I, I Just the key to them is going to be, like I said, for, for the volunteers who are ranked second in the country, is where you know, is figuring out their lineup. You know, they have a couple guys who started 20 games for them last year. They have a couple high-profile transfers. Um, Ahuna wasn't in the lineup. So they, they're figuring things out. Now, I will say, <laughs> super impressive uh, power guy in their lineup is Blake Burke, who's also not eligible for this year's draft. He, he could be a top two round guy next year. He's a big left-handed hitter. He tied the freshman home run record at Tennessee last year. He hit 14 homers. <laughs> and the amazing thing is he hit 14 homers and 95 at-bats. I mean, their lineup was so loaded with veteran hitters and, and performing so well, they couldn't they couldn't get more at-bats for him. Anyway, on, on Sunday, he hit a triple to deep center. And then you guys have both been to Sloan park and hopefully a lot of our listeners have, which is spring training comb of the Cubs. Uh, Burke is a left-handed hitter and he hit a ball the opposite way to left center that landed at least three quarters of the way up the berm. mean, um, it was, I, I wish we'd had somebody running track man there because that ball had to be at least 450 feet. I mean, it was just a bomb. Um, so I, I think they li- they'll figure out their lineup. I think their lineup will be okay, but they're still trying to figure out exactly who they have and who should be playing and that, and that type of stuff.
0: Yeah, you've, you've used uh, callous cast there at Sloan Park before, right, Jim, when uh, we haven't had. I have, so, but... I
2: have. Although, you know, it's weird, like I was locked in, like I didn't go callous cast on our streaming broadcast and maybe I should have. And and just to circle back to teams that beat Tennessee, you know, TJ Nichols, Jonathan, who, who's one of your guys from your your part of the draft, he's got first round stuff. I mean, nobody's ever questioned the stuff, but, you know, he did a five and a half ERA last year. He gave up more hits in innings. Uh, you know, he's just not consistent with it. Well, he was consistent with it against Tennessee, went six innings, really threw a lot of sliders for strikes. Fastball was you know, 93 95, and, and he outpitched Dolander and, and got the win. And then to me, the highlight of the whole, of, of at least the games I did, and, and I hope we see more of this in the future is so Saturday night's game was at Grand Canyon, and we need to have more games on campus because the atmosphere that was there was electric. I think there, there's Brazzle Field there holds I want to say six thousand fans. They had to cut off ticket sales. They probably would have sold like ten or twelve thousand. It was packed. There's all kinds of stuff going on on campus. They have a parking deck behind right field. I'm sure they showed it on the broadcast. I don't know if, if if you guys saw this. The parking deck was loaded with fans who couldn't get into the park, and it was loud, and it was just like we've never had a, a you know MLB four desert invitational game like that where you've had that vocal and and that. You know, committed a crowd. Tennessee actually traveled. Tennessee probably had about 500 fans with them, but it was that was cool. It it was a great game. That was four three. You know, Jacob Wilson. I will say the son of Jack, the former All Star, who I think we have ranked ninth on our our top 100 draft prospects. And you know, I think Jonathan. We both called him. You know, probably the best hitter in the country. You know, best pure hitter. He only struck out seven times in 275 at bats last year. Man, <laughs> I saw, I think, six or seven at-bats for him, and he hit six line drives, two triples. He just, you know, get down the count 0-2. Oh, it doesn't matter. He, you know, crushes the ball. You know, really controlled swing. If he gets a little stronger, he's going to have some power to him too. That bat is real. Now, now, we saw him almost wipe out, trying to make a Derek Jeter dive into the stands, catch of a foul pop the first day, but he came back the next day and was smacking the ball around Brazzle Field. He, he was really, really impressive, and then the – the last thought I'll I'll leave you guys with uh, with Grand Canyon. You know, Jonathan, you were saying, you know, a lot of scouts are telling you Homer Bush Jr. that could be a guy who breaks out this year. And the first game when they played tennis, I mean, when they played UC San Diego, he had three hits, an infield hit, he had a triple, he stole two bases, he forced an errant throw, so he came home on that. He made an unbelievable diving catch with his back to the plate where he landed on the warning track. Um, he might be a plus plus runner. And he's, you know, like a real lean 6'3", 200. You know, he's still putting it together. But, man, that first game, you're like, okay, I can see why all these scouts are telling Jonathan that Homer Bush could break out, that Homer Bush Jr. could break out this year. Because, man, it, it was fun. I, it, I, you could tell. I'm still excited about the tournament. I've been home for a couple of days. But we, we saw a lot of good players. I like having seven teams there. Um, brings more prospects in. And I hope, you know you know, whether it's Grand Canyon or Arizona State, we should definitely have like the Saturday night game going forward. It should be an on-campus game because that atmosphere
0: was the best they've had since they've been doing the tournament. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, even to watch to watch from afar. And you've mentioned a, a lot of the top-ranked prospects that were there, in Wilson and Bush, uh, and then on the pitching side, Nichols and and Olander. I th- there were seven top 100 prospects on rosters going in. You mentioned. Uh, Miley Huna did not get to participate. Mitch Jeb, Chase Davis, nobody really disappointed. Jeb had a couple of extra base hits, went three for fourteen over the weekend. Chase Davis hit two home runs in a game. It seemed like yeah, you know, most of the top ranked players kind of living up to their billing.
2: Yeah, that was that was what's kind of cool. I mean, you got to see what why everybody's excited about these players. It was. A lot of talent. It was really cool. I like. I, I like. I said. I'm. I'm still excited. It was. A, it was a fun weekend. That uh, I had so much fun. I, I put away my my guilt for not writing enough top thirty blurbs uh, uh, while I was out there. I, I'm, I'm back at that task now. But it was. It was a lot of fun. I think Chuck Fox and MLB do a great job uh, putting that tournament together. And you know, the, the nice thing with having Grand Canyon and using Sloan Park this year is it allowed you to bring in seven teams instead of four. Um, I think next year they'll probably go to eight. It was it was a lot of fun. It's it's nice to see the tournament grow and, and continue to get better. And definitely need to have like <laughs> I cannot say enough. We need to go back to Grand Canyon or at least Arizona State next year because that that was fun. That was that was that was the most fun part. I'm I'm
1: a little jealous. i always love when you get those looks at at amateur players, and we don't get out to see them that often. You know, much of our draft coverage is. Talking to scouts and things of that nature, and, and watching from afar. Uh, so any opportunity to, to like get out and actually see some of these players, especially early, is always fun. And it's just a first impression. We're talking what you know, eleven, twelve, maybe fifteen at bats, something like that. But I am excited to to head out. You know, I go to Arizona this week. I'm actually going to go to see Grand Canyon on Friday, uh, their home game, and then hoping to get out to to see some some more amateur players. And so I always feel like it's on my to do list. So. Color me envious that uh, that you were able to, to to be at this very cool event.
0: I mentioned to you guys uh, that we you know we posted the two Chase Davis home runs on social media accounts, and there were a ton of people that replied about how his swing looked just like that of Carlos Gonzalez, and uh, so we then posted one of his home run swings and just asked, "Who does this swing remind you of?" And that set off a, a frenzy of people replying. I don't know if it was a majority that said Carlos Gonzalez, but uh, there was a, a large portion and then there were some some Griffies in there. He was getting a lot of very, uh, I would think, flattering responses. But then, as it turns out, Chase Davis, he talked to our Jesse Boric after the game and said that he does, in fact, pattern his swing after Carlos Gonzalez. Said He's been swinging like that since he was 13. People started making the comps when he was 16. He said he reached out to uh, to Cargo uh, on Instagram and that they're pretty close now that they, they chat via Instagram quite a bit now. So that was pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, an old teammate of cargoes, Ryan Spielborgs, weighed in said, obviously that's Carlos Gonzalez's swing. And, you know, that, that set off a conversation with him and Brian Anderson. And yeah, there's a uh, fun to see people getting into, getting into that and making that swing comp.
1: The side-by-side video that we posted was very cool. I mean, it's, it's, Sometimes people will say that and you're like, I don't know, you know, and obviously it's in the eye of the holder. but that one, it was pretty, with the exception of the the cargo started a little bit more open, they ended up in exactly the same place in the swing pad. I mean, it it was, I think Ryan Spielberg was right in terms of like, clearly that's Carlos Gonzalez.
0: Okay, let's uh, let's leave the Desert Invitational. There was a lot more baseball being played over the weekend. There were some games played at Globe Life Field where you know, we got to peek in on those and had StatCast going there. So we got some StatCast data on those games, which was nice. But let's, let's talk about some of the top-ranked players and how they performed over this first weekend. And let's start uh, right at the top with a couple of LSU players, one on the offensive side and one on the pitcher's mound.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, Dylan Cruz is our number one prospect, and I think people are going to be watching him very closely. Uh, he certainly got off to, uh, you know, a, a fine start, hit his first homer, you know, a few hits uh, along the way. Um, you know, nothing, nothing earth-shattering and certainly nothing bad. But I guess right behind him, uh, not in LSU land, but Wyatt Langford. you know, as we continue to sort of look at the two of them. Langford you know, didn't homer, but had a couple of extra base hits. And then the pitcher, of course, is uh, we can now say friend of the podcast, Paul Skeens, who all he did is go out and punch out 12 in six innings of of shutout ball while walking only one. And Jason, I think it was you who said uh, that uh, we overuse the old John Hart on MLB Network quote of this is what they look like. Paul Skeens is definitely what they look like. You were right and certainly looked it in his first start anyway for LSU.
2: Yeah, his first pitch was ninety nine. His last pitch, his ninetieth pitch of the game was ninety-eight. Uh, even with all that velocity, his his like sweeping power slider might have been his best pitch. And you know, I think we're on to something here. So Paul Skeens is on our podcast last week and he comes out and he pitches six shutout innings with twelve strikeouts. I'm gonna go on record and say that this week's podcast guest, Chase Stolander, I think he's he's primed for a big weekend against Dayton. That's who Tennessee opens up at home with, with, Dayton this weekend. So I think if the best players in college baseball want to perform at their best, they need to prepare by coming on the Pipeline <laughs> podcast, and then then they're they're set for a great weekend. I, yeah, we'll guys- this trend's going to continue. We're going we're to start after Chase Delano goes out and strikes out double digits this weekend. We're going to have people calling us about it, whether or not they can be on the podcast.
0: Yeah, they'll be they're knocking the door down for sure. Why wow.
2: Langford's going to be like Jonathan? Please, like, come on! Can can, can you get me on there? I got to get ahead of Dylan Cruz on your list. So get me on the podcast.
0: Anyone else uh, jump out at you in, uh, from this first weekend? I, you know, that- I
1: think it's always interesting you know, the, the the college bats who are known to have power, but you want to see how they're going to tap into the power. I, I think is is, uh, is always interesting. So when you see it, two of the guys we we have decently high on on our list who have power over hit profiles you've got brock wilkin at Fa- at wake forest and jake geloff uh zach's younger brother at virginia and and both of them got to to their power they both homered twice over the weekend geloff drove in nine runs uh went six for 14 overall wilkin only had two hits but they were both homers So that's something we'll have to keep watching, you know, a bunch of strikeouts for him. But I think that that's always something that's going to play. You know, if these guys get to their power and limit the strikeouts, you know, Gelov was more successful overall uh, in that first weekend. Uh, And I think there were some questions about whether his swing will work. Uh, You know, so if he he continues to show good contact rates and, and the hit tool, then I think he, he was at number 38 on our list you know, as we got started here. I think he is one of those guys that's going to sort of float upwards.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you two other guys who, who jumped out at me, and those are, those are good takes there, Jonathan, is uh, Brain Taylor, who we have as a top half of the first round guy, one of the better position players in the country. He's a shortstop third baseman for TCU. He had a great opening weekend. He went seven for 12 with five walks, got to see him at the uh, – at the desert, well, I guess it was MLB4. He was at the MLB4 last year, but he was at the Globe Life tournament um, in Arlington and, and really impressed the scouts. He saw him. And then another pitcher to keep an eye on who I think is going to be in the running. To go, maybe be the you know second or third pitcher taken the draft. You know, I think is obviously the favorite. Paul Skeens is right there too, but Rhett Louder of Wake Forest, had a really strong performance. Uh, you know, a lot of guys. You know, we're talking about him. He looked good in some inter squad stuff leading into the season. He struck out ten in five innings. So, you know, I mean, I, I guess probably fairly typical guys. But but most of the best players, you know, with, with only a couple exceptions, came out. You know, not just at the Desert but all over the country, and started pretty strongly.
1: I just wanted to add one more guy, just because I think it, it was probably the, the weirdest line. Jim, this is one I showed you um, <laughs> over the weekend. I think Brandon Sprout, you know, who didn't sign, went back to Florida, did not allow a hit and struck out seven in five and two-thirds, but also managed to give up three earned runs. So that, to me, is like the weird line of the, of the week. And that kind of <laughs> is Brandon Sprout in a nutshell. The stuff is unhittable but he doesn't always know where it's going and it gets him in trouble
0: all right so one of the guys who started off nicely and who a lot of people were watching to start this season was tennessee's chase dolander and as we said jim had a chance to talk to him so we're going to take a break and chat with chase coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast
2: Jim Cowles, Emily Pipeline here with Chase Dolander of the Tennessee Volunteers, number two on our draft top 100 prospects list coming into the season. Chase, appreciate you uh, take some time to uh, talk to us. The first question I want to ask you, you know, you're from Evans, Georgia, as you point out, near Augusta. Yeah. yeah. Um, how heavily were you recruited and scouted
3: in high school? Did you draw a lot of attention or no? So in high school, I have a pretty interesting story. Um, I did not get a lot of attention out of high school whatsoever. Um, I had two offers, and it was College of Charleston and Georgia Southern. And I picked Georgia Southern, uh, one, kind of, kind of financial reasons, and two, I just kind of felt like it was the best foot for me at the time. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, yeah, things started to kind of pick up. Uh, my senior year, whenever COVID hit, um, got a couple calls in the draft and stuff, but other than that, nothing turned out of it, so I went to Georgia Southern.
2: Yeah, did you notice, was your stuff starting to pick up as a senior? Because I went back, I talked to some very guys, you know, as you you've emerged as you know the best pitching prospect in this class. And I was like, I just don't remember Chase's name coming up a lot in high school. And I had guys tell me that you were on radars, you know, you yeah. were athletic and projectable, all those good yeah. high school words, right. you know. And your stuff wasn't what it is today, right. but they felt felt like it was going to tick up as a senior, and then just COVID hit, yeah. and you never got the opportunity to do anything. What did you do? So your high school senior, how much did you even get to pitch as a senior?
3: Not even 20 innings.
2: And then what did you do the rest of the time? I mean, did you try to keep your arm in shape? Did you play any summer ball informally?
3: Um, so I, I think, if I remember back to it, I did play a little bit of summer ball that year. But other than that, I mean, I just kind of tried to keep my arm healthy. Didn't really throw as much as I probably should have, to be honest. But I mean, it was kind of that point in time, you, you didn't know it was going to happen. Right. And so um, I tried to keep my body and my mind in shape. As best as I so your your college debut at Georgia Southern, ironically enough,
2: is against Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You pitched pretty well. I think gave up one run and struck out eight and five and two-thirds innings. And yeah. I, I've talked to Tennessee's coach, Tony Botel yeah. about it. And he said, they didn't really know much about you. It was a Sunday game. They figured, okay, I think Blake Tidwell was pitching. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we should be in pretty good shape. And it's right. like, geez, like, you know, who is this guy? And then I also saw somebody's talking about was Drew Gilbert chirping at you guys a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah. So right. what was your impression of the volunteers in that, yeah. in that, in that oh, college right. debut? During
3: that time, I hated them. I hated them. <laughs> just because of, you know, like how no how good they were that year. I mean, obviously they went to the college the series uh, for these two games. But then again, like, you know, kind of start thinking back to it. And you had guys like Drew Gilbert just chirping at us the whole time. You had Liam Spence and Max Ferguson on the same team. Like, th- that team was just so fun to watch uh, looking back at it. But, you know, posing dugout, you're like, yeah. oh, we hate these guys. I mean, we don't ever <laughs> want to see these guys again. but. But, you know, it, it was a lot of fun, that series, kind of having my first official, like, start against them. When did
2: you decide you were going to transfer, and how did you wind up picking Tennessee? Did that first game, did just kind of seeing what their team was about, did that play into it at all?
3: I 100% did. I didn't really know when I was going to transfer. I just kind of... I talked with my parents. I talked to my advisors at the time, and we just kind of came up with a decision. You know, like let's just bet on yourself and see what happens. So I ended up hitting the portal, and I got a bunch of calls. And I feel like in the back of my mind, I said, you know, it'd be pretty cool if Tennessee called. Yeah. And um, and they ended up calling, and, and I kind of I was like fan, like being a fan for a second. But, and then it was like straight to business as soon as I picked up the phone. But you know. During my whole like recruiting visit, I, I had in my I had in my mind that I wasn't looking for like the nicest facilities, I wasn't looking for any of that. I was looking for a relationship with the coaches. But I feel like here you're not gonna find anything better than that.
2: Well, I mean, with I mean, Coach Patel and then Frankie Anderson is one of the best pitching coaches exactly. in the country. I mean, exactly. how quickly did you get acclimated to Tennessee? Did, how did, did you feel how easy was that processing and then facing SEC competition, yeah. which, I mean, Georgia Southern is a good program. Yeah. Yeah, but like SEC sure. is obviously a step up.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I got acclimated pretty, pretty well, uh, pretty fast. Uh, These guys like, you know, Reverend Wallace and Evan Russell, like kind of helped me a lot just because um, I played them the year before, and so they kind of saw my potential, what I could be, so they, they kind of bought into who I was and what my plan my was. And Remen was my throwing partner. and him and I would have conversation after conversation about what it's like to play here, what it's like to play in the SEC, and stuff like that. And so I credit a lot to him for me being more prepared than... Uh, than I feel like a lot of people thought I would be. But making that jump to the SEC was not easy whatsoever. <laughs> I feel like it's not easy for anybody. But, you know, we just kind of have to take it one step at a time, you know, and at a time, and just kind of work through
2: it. Well, you handled it pretty well. You were SEC yeah. Pitcher of the Year, so it went pretty well. <laughs> when did your stuff start to tick up? When did you start to notice? Because I think in high school, some guys were telling me, it was kind of like 89 to 93. <laughs> yeah. And now, I mean, a lot of 95s, 96s, and some 99s. Yeah. When did your stuff make that jump?
3: So it was my, going back to high school, it was like senior year. I made a jump. So I think i taught like 94 in my senior year. which was a really, really huge thing for me because I was working on the b the whole time. I was working on using my legs. And it wasn't until I got to Georgia Southern when I started having, like, a, 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 like a, a program for me, like, for lifting and stuff, that uh, when it really started taking up. And, you know, during the fall, it was, like, 95, 95, 96, 96, 97. I was like, okay, like, this could be something. And during the season, you know, I kind of sat for four to six most of the time. And then, you know, when I got here and I got with Coach Q, who is arguably the best strength coach in the nation, and I got with Coach Anderson, those two guys working together as a deadly combo for a pitcher. And, um, that's when I kind of yeah, that, started to see my boobs start to rise. When did your slider take off? Because the slider is pretty nasty too. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it really took off whenever I was able to get on tronic and stuff like that, and really look at how it's coming off my fingers. And you know, obviously, you have Coach Anderson, and like you said, is a best <laughs> coach some the nation. So it, it's kind of hard not to have good stuff with that guy. Uh, he knows a lot, but he's not one of those guys that's gonna kind of put in your face. He, he's going to be the one to kind of subtly tell you and say, "Hey, let's, let's go work on this," and all you all you say is okay, and then next thing you know my my slider kind of forms into what it is now. How do you
2: are you gonna remember last season? I mean you guys had a great year, yeah. you know, arguably the best season in Tennessee history, you win the SEC by a lot, you win the SEC tournament, you're number one for most of the, 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 the season. Yeah. But, yeah, you don't. You fall one game short of Omaha. Mm. Well, how do you look back on that season? I mean, there's a lot of great things you guys accomplished, yeah. but you fell short of the ultimate goal.
3: Yeah, I feel like you said it right there. Like, yeah, we we did a lot of great things. Um, we were a really good team. We all were really close. But at the end of the day, we didn't get to Omaha. And, you know, that I feel like that's kind of like the program mindset now is Omaha. Um, Obviously, we take each day, each day one at a time, and you know that's just kind of how we're taught to do things. But I remember the season last year as as being a lot of fun. You know, baseball is a game; you gotta have fun with it. If you don't, it's not gonna be very, not gonna be very fun for you, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, it's just one of those things where you look back at it and you kind of have to remember it, uh, because it happened, and just take what you can from it and move on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess if it's like a a positive example i mean same thing happened arkansas the year before
2: and then they made it back to omaha the the, the, the very next year you you talk about having fun i mean the volunteers are known for having fun (laughs) with the the home run the for code and the home run hat we were waiting for it to break out last night you guys didn't hit a home run so maybe we'll see it tonight for uh your your second game of the season but how much fun do you guys have i mean and as a pitcher i mean obviously the days you're pitching
3: you're not dealing with that but like you get to Enjoy that on the days when you're not pitching and participate, Matt? Yeah, I mean, every time a guy hits a home run, like you said, we have the first and the daddy had and Daddy has stuff like that, and everybody just joins in on it. I mean, it, it's a team thing, and that's kind of what the coaches preach to us. You know, this is a team game, so might as well make everything be a team. And you never hear the words I or me in the dugout. It's it's us or we. It's it's a great thing to hear because, you know, I feel like at different places, you'll hear a lot of I, me, and mind and stuff like that which you know it doesn't really create a good atmosphere in the dugout but when you have a group of guys like this and a group of guys like we did last year it's hard not to be focused on the team if you were ranking your pitches in order how would you how, how would you self-scout your four pitches it would be fastball slider changeup of purple that's how i would i would kind of rank it
2: how much do you use them like in a, in a game if everything goes according to plan yeah.
3: like how much would you use each pitch um i'm primarily fastball slider um, but this this season, I I've been really working on using my uh, my up and curveball a lot more. So you know, relatively thinking, I would like to use all of my pitches kind of more of a mix instead of having just just two pitches.
2: How would you think of your outing last night? And it, I don't know if this was a case, but it seemed like early on you were struggling with your control more than usual. And then after Buller hit the home run off of you, it, I don't know if that. It helps you focus. Is the right way to put it. But like after that, you just seemed like you were locked in, and yeah. and nothing. They weren't going to do anything. I don't. Maybe yeah. they had one hit the rest yeah. of the way.
3: You know, I think I did okay last night. Obviously, we lost. Um, you know, it, it it is a team game, so yeah, I, I gave everything I could for the team. of uh, got a little high in the first inning, like you said. I felt like every miss was either borderline or probably was strike, right? but you know, yeah, you weren't missing by much Yeah. at the end of the day. I mean, it's not our call to make. It's the only no, nice call and they're all human. So they make mistakes, but I mean, you just kind of have to take from it and move on with your What's what are your development goals for this season? I mean, is it
2: using the secondary pitches? A little I mean, it's, it's weird because obviously you want to get better and yeah. I know coach Anderson's going to try to help you get better, but at the same time, you're trying to win games too. Right. So it's not like when you get to pro ball, and they might say hey we're going to have you throw 20 changeups a game no matter what we don't care about the results here you're trying to win games right. so you can't quite do that but what are you what are you trying to focus on how do you balance with okay we know the fastball and slider are really good we're trying to mix in you know other things
3: yeah so i mean you kind of have to like you said you have to be focused on running for the team. Um, and at the end of the day, like you can work on stuff as you're playing, as long as you know the stuff is working. Yeah. To be honest with you, like, but if not, you know, I always have that fastball slider combo that I can go back to. And I feel like that's one great thing about being with Coach Anderson. Is he he understands that I'm trying to work on these things, and he he wants to help as much as he can. But. You know, at the end of the day, if, like, if the hitters are hitting or I'm not hitting my spots with those secondary pitches, he's going to go back to he has been doing all, all season long.
2: I mean, I guess in a way, too. I mean, you know the fastball and slider are pretty good. Yeah. So when you're working on stuff yeah. on the side and bullpens, yeah. you could focus on the changeup and curveball. Yeah, exactly. And you know, maybe maybe you don't use them that much. Exactly. You're not going to throw 20 changeups just for the sake of throwing 20 changeups in a <laughs> yeah. game. But you can focus on the changeup because you know the fastball and slider exactly. already and
3: exactly and in pretty good shape. Exactly.
2: I always like to ask players, who's the best opponent you face? Who's, who's the best hitter or
3: hitters you the think best you face? Best hitter or hitters I face. Um, obviously Dylan Cruz is one of those. He, he's he's really good. I have a lot of respect for that guy. <laughs> how'd you have you done against him? Uh, he's one for three off me okay. so far. Uh, we'll see what it, what it's like back. Single in- or was it? A- it was, it was a double one. Okay. It so it's probably like pretty even matchup. Yeah. yeah I'd, say, I'd say so. It's going to be a lot of fun when we go down there for sure. Um, but Spencer Jones from Bannerville was another really good hitter. that I, faced. I don't think he, I don't think he did that well that, that weekend, but obviously like you look how, look how he was throughout the rest of the season. He, he's a really, really good hitter. Yeah. And he
2: was a guy who, I mean, really didn't play a ton yeah. in college because he was, you know, you had the COVID year, and then I think he blew out his elbow pitching yeah. summer ball. I don't think he came back to midway through, like, 2021. Yeah. And then he winds up going in the first round yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway.
3: I mean, that's just a testament to how hard he works.
2: How much do you think pitching in the SEC is going to help you going into pro ball? Because, I mean, there's yeah. no – I mean, the guys on the podcast always give me a hard time because I always work my alma mater, Georgia, into the conversation. <laughs> but, like, I, I think I can stay unbiased. I mean, I do think it's the best league in the country. Yeah, And, like, you have Mississippi State, which won the national championship. Finished last in their division last year. And you have Ole Miss, which barely got into the tournament because everybody in the SEC beats up on everybody else. Right? They want to win the whole thing. I mean, it's a challenge every week, isn't it? Pretty yeah, much
3: it's every weekend's a different challenge. Um, but you know, that's what Christian Tell always does, to so us every week's a different challenge. You know, you kind of have to make it as you can. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, yeah, I feel like being in the SEC is going to help me prepare a lot. I don't know how much, obviously, I haven't been there. Yeah, yet, so. Um, it's only a matter of time, but you know, if you take it one day at a time, I think things will uh, kind of work how You wanted to work. What? Um, I mean, I know you haven't been to all the
2: parks because you've only you just started your second year at Tennessee. Yeah. But what's been your your favorite road park or best
3: road atmosphere yeah. that you've seen in the SEC? Ole Miss for sure. So. Ole Miss was a lot of fun to go to. Uh, those fans are rowdy. Uh, it, it was kind of fun to kind of beat up on them a little bit. <laughs> just kind of listen to them, you know, quiet down as as the game went on. But you know. There's a reason why they they hold fourteen, fifteen thousand 15,000 people. And you can tell as soon as you walk in a stadium, it's a different atmosphere. Well,
2: it's kind of like, I mean, it's obviously a smaller scale, but it's kind of like the football atmosphere. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not, you know, 80, 90, 100,000, but like... So, have you played in Mississippi State? We yeah, have, yeah. Okay.
3: Like, so, I will say Mississippi State is close second. Okay. Uh, they, they are, they are a lot of fun to, to go down there and play. And obviously, when I played there, we we were beating up on pretty good. It was like twenty-seven to two. Oh, jeez. Like so they are probably pretty quiet. Yeah, they they got a little quiet, but you know, as as the weekend went on, they got more rowdy. And it, it was a lot of fun to kind of it's it's a lot of fun to, to experience different atmospheres, different people.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like I mean, there's so many. The, I mean, the ballparks in SC. Are incredible yeah. and like I mean the fans are just into it. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. It's, I mean like I mean I'm a lot older, but when I went to <laughs> Georgia, I didn't play. But when I was there in the late '80s, like it's just funny thing. Back like Vanderbilt, like everybody just crushed Vanderbilt. Yeah. Vanderbilt had no facilities. Everybody just beat up on them. Right. And now you look yeah. at the like the stadium they have. You know, yeah. Tennessee was up and down. Like when I started covering college baseball, Tennessee hadn't done much. But then Rod delmonico came in and they had Todd Helton, they had R.A. Dickey, and they really had it going for yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. And then it kind of cycled down a little bit and. Obviously now it's built back up, but now it's it's tough because there's no there's no easy weekends. There is no easy. And, and now Texas and Oklahoma are coming yeah, in, so exactly. it's like it it's, doesn't matter
3: what team you're facing; it's not an easy weekend whatsoever. Yeah. So I mean, I,
2: I do think that like winds up helping people in terms of the draft. I mean, obviously you're focused on getting to Omaha and, yeah. and you know team goals. Do you hear the draft buzz? I mean, is it? Can you avoid it or do you? I mean, do you hear people saying like I know I keep I write every time I write about you, Chase, because I, I, it's I keep throughout the same line. Best college pitching prospects since Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. And everybody's, you know, potential number one guy. You're number two on our list. and yeah. I mean,
3: do you hear that stuff? Or yeah. Is it I mean, hard to avoid? It is very hard to avoid, especially, especially when, like, you go to an SEC screen, right? People are going to be talking. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you have, like, family and stuff that likes to talk about it. And, and it just kind of gets to a point where, and I've said this before, where you just have to address it and be like yeah this is a thing and move on from it because if you if you stay and you dwell on that moment your your mentality is just going like, to kind of slowly sink and it's just one of those things where like you have to work it into a to a way where you can use it as fuel to want to be better and so that i feel like that's what i've been able to gain
2: i mean in a good sort of way yeah if you take care of business on the field exactly. and do what you hope to do that exactly. the draft takes care yeah, of itself exactly. so exactly. like Think it's not it's that. not like it's two divergent goals like hey if I focus on the draft, you know we can't do you, know, you can right. you can do both. I mean, you saw last year you guys had what two first round picks and yeah. Ben Joyce went in the third round right. and yeah, a lot. Of, we have,
3: I think, we have eleven guys drafted last year. Yeah, yeah which I great. think
2: was a school record. So I mean, yeah. you, you can you know success you success on the field leads to success right. on the draft. How much I don't know if goal is the right word, but like how much would it mean to go number one overall in the draft? Nobody's ever done that. You know, Nick yeah. Senzel went to at Tennessee. <laughs> I was there the day Todd Helen, he, they were in Omaha when Todd Helen got drafted eighth. Yeah. Nobody's ever gone one. I mean, is yeah. that,
3: do you think about that ever? Or? Uh, I've actually never, never knew that. <laughs> okay, never well, now you do. one-one at Tennessee, but no, I mean, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, like you said, if I go out there and take care of business, everything takes care of itself. And if, I mean, when the draft comes, it's ultimately not my decision as long as I take care of what's out there. And so, you know, that's just my focus is, is being out there with the guys and taking this team as far as I can take them. You're getting a lot of
2: attention, obviously, because this is your draft year and you guys have another talented team. Yeah. Who is that? Well, you can pick more than one if you want, but who are a couple of volunteers we should keep our eye on to watch either for this year's
3: draft or going forward, guys we should be yeah, looking at? Yeah, I mean, up. one pitcher I have in mind that yeah. I feel like is going to be a game-changer for us this year is Angel Lincey. He came from, uh, Jim he's a Jim He's a sinker guy, but he, he throws hard. And in these past couple of scrimmages that we've had back home, he's been looking really good. And he, obviously, yeah, Christian Moore, in my opinion, it's gonna be a first round of next year as long as he keeps his head straight. You know, he keeps he I've keeps heard down. Drew Gilbert
2: like he's got like the Drew Gilbert like firing yeah, he does. him. Like he's he he picked up that band. I mean yeah, keep your head straight. <laughs> well you could see him like, even last night we saw him get into yeah. it a little bit like I don't know what the rules are about calling time. Right. And then I mean, as you obviously noted and as the rest of the team did, they granted time to one of the Wildcats like in the seventh or eighth inning, and it's like, wait yeah. a minute, like right. and then on. he was <laughs>
3: chirping he was chirping from second base when that happened too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, he definitely has that fire. And, I mean, you know, you kind of need guys like that on your team so <laughs> to, to kind of bring energy to it when like, things aren't looking so good. So last night, I mean, yeah, we lost, but you kind of have to just move on from it. Yeah. Everything is kind of behind you now. Well, I really appreciate it, Chase.
2: It's, it's been fun talking to you. Good luck uh, this season uh, in the SEC. Take it easy on my Bulldogs, and, <laughs> and good luck in the draft.
0: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Thanks to Chase Dolander for joining us. As good of a pitcher as he is, he's maybe as good of an interview. That was fantastic. All right, let's talk about spring training. There are a lot of prospects in camp, some of whom are legitimately competing for roster spots. You guys, along with... Sam Dykstra did a story on one prospect per team that could be vying for a roster spot in spring training. That story's up on MLB.com slash pipeline. First question I want to ask you guys about that story is I want the over-under on the number of guys from that story that will actually win roster spots.
1: Well, that's interesting. So we, I'll start with the caveat that we specifically did not pick the slam dunk like we know they're going to, be on the team, so that's you know. So Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, not not a, not a, not in the story. So I will say ten.
2: I will take the under.
0: You're gonna take the under. Okay. All
1: right. We'll see. But yeah. We, we, we as Jonathan said,
2: we weren't necessarily picking who's the best bet. We we tried not to pick anybody we thought was was a lock. So.
0: Right. So, so you weren't trying to come up with the highest number of players to... that would
2: Right. Make- it wasn't these 30 prospects are the best bets to win yeah. jobs in spring training. It's these 30 prospects are vying for jobs in spring training.
0: Okay. So with, with that in mind, which of the guys that you went with are, would you say, the biggest locks or have the... Be- Maybe we won't say locks since... You got to stay away from locks, but who has the best chance? Lock of the week. Lock of the week. Thousand
2: star lock of the week. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get sponsors for the podcast. Master lock of the week.
1: I will. For me, I will say Grayson Rodriguez or Andrew Painter. I think one or both of those guys. Both have sort of. Rodriguez has an inside track. Like I think it's his his job to lose. You know, but just given the injury history and and the lack of uh, time at the upper levels, you know, they missed so much time last year if for whatever reason they deem that he's not quite ready, I could see him not being on the opening day roster, but he comes up a month later or something like that. But all signs point to him having a very good chance of of making, making the Orioles rotation uh, from day one.
2: I, I like the painter pick too, Jonathan, because I, what I was going to say is I think the most talented players basically rewrite your ETAs. Like I don't even know that coming into this year – or going into the offseason, the Phillies are like, oh, Andrew Painter might make our team. But like, there's a lot of talk and buzz around him already in spring training. And the Phillies are trying to win. And if he's one of your best guys, he should be your team. I mean, and I just look at other top 100 guys that, that, that were included in this story. Guys like Oswald Peraza, the Yankees, could wind up being their starting shortstop. Oscar Colas of the White Sox, I think he might be their best option in right field. You know, He's got power. He's a lot better defender than, say, Gavin Sheets. If they're trying to win, they might look at him. You know, the one that's interesting to me, you know, former uh, guest and on the podcast, friend of the podcast, Hunter Brown was spectacular last year. He had a 0.89 ERA in September, three scoreless outings in the postseason. But the Astros are so loaded, I don't think he he's a total lot. Ken Waldchuck's another top 100 guy who can make the A's. Bryce Miller with the Mariners. Mm-hmm. I think Jordan Walker. Might be a little ahead of schedule, but I think he could. He's going to force his way into that Cardinals lineup. And maybe I should take in the over. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting interested. Brett Beatty. I'm just looking at all the top 100 guys on here. Brett Beatty of the Mets, even though it's a loaded roster, he could play a few positions and he can really hit. You know, Kay Cavalli the Nationals. Like who else is going to be in that rotation? Matt Mervis not a top 100 guy, but you know, coming off a big minor league season. Miguel Vargas who has a hairline fracture in his pinky. I, I feel like the the Dodgers will have a rookie in their lineup. It could be Vargas, it could be Michael Bush, it could be James Outman, but I, I don't know. I, I'm taking the over. Can I switch? Is it, is it too late to take the over now? So wishy-washy.
1: I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know with Bryce Miller, I think he's an interesting one. And, and you mentioned Beatty playing different positions. A guy like Bryce Miller with the Mariners, his chances are increased because he has the opportunity to maybe start out coming out of the bullpen. You know, maybe Hunter Brown's in the same boat, so that you know that increases the chances. It's not like, like if, say, the Phillies decide Andrew Painter is not quite ready, he's not going to be in their big league bullpen. He's going to go start in AAA until it's time for him to come up and be a part of that rotation, which will happen this year. Um, but some of those guys, they have multiple opportunities or avenues to to make that opening day roster.
0: Did Did either of you mention Jordan Walker?
1: Yeah, I did. I, did I said I think he's going to force his way into right field. Jim, you mentioned like all thirty guys. So. <laughs> you did rattle off the top. I, 100. I rattled off all the top one hundred guys. I think, I, and and Matt Mervis, who, I, yeah, by the way, I, I would love for him to make the team, but I with the with the free agent signings during the offseason, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. But
2: yeah, it'll be interesting with Mervis because I do think the Cubs are trying to win this year, return to contention. I don't really think he has anything left to prove in the minors, but they did go out and sign Eric Hosmer. They did sign Trey Mancini. They insist that won't have any bearing on his chances to make the team. I mean, if they decide he's a better option at first base, they're only paying Eric Hosmer the minimum. I think the Potters are still on the hook for most of his salary. So, like, it, it, it's not hard. Like, if you cut Eric Hosmer, sure. you're not eating a bunch of money. You know, and he could wind up, you know, maybe he platoons with Mancini early on. You know, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, it's uh, a lot of interesting names on there. and And I do feel like most of our top 100 guys have a very good chance to make the team, even if they feel like a little bit of a long shot right now
0: where do you where do you put walker on the spectrum having a good shot down to being a very long shot
2: well if we let go 20 to 80 there we go i will go 65 I, I put 65 on the 20 to 80 scale he's a 65 making
0: the teamness <laughs> how about that how, <laughs> how how much does that depend on how he performs in spring training and
2: yeah i mean i i feel like spring training stats are kind of like afl stats where People put too much importance on them in general. Like, guys could be, you know, like you don't know who guys are facing in spring training. It's, 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 you know, wide spectrum of, hey, this is a big leaguer, although the big leaguer may be, you know, working on a third pitch as opposed to here's a double A guy just throwing some innings. But I mean, I think he has to perform. I think he has to have a good spring training. I think if he struggles, they aren't going to say, oh, well, we're going to overlook that. But I think if he goes out and performs like he's capable of, I mean, he's hit everywhere he's been. He doesn't sell out for power, and he effortlessly hits home runs. He's got a cannon arm in right field. I, I think it's going to be awful hard to ignore him.
1: Yeah, I, I think. Listen, it's not like the Cardinals are going to be like, "Oh, you only hit two twenty in Grapefruit League games, so yeah, so you're not making the the team." I think they, they're going to look at a lot of other things, just the way he goes about it, and how hard he's hitting the ball. You know, whether he looks overmatched against the 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 big league pitchers that he faces. You know, things of that nature. That a lot more goes into it than just. The, the stat line uh, you know, in terms of making the determination but I think the Cardinals are a team that have long been willing to break camp with the roster that's going to help them compete and if they decide that having him in right field will do that and you know I, I think Jim's you know meter for making the teamness is that what you' making said? the teamness. yeah making making the teamness that that's the sixth tool making the teamness uh, I, I think that's I think that's about right I'd go about 60 60. Yeah. All right. Well, this conversation
0: dovetails nicely into our mailbag question for this week. It comes from Aaron Brisek, uh, at B-R-E-C-E-K-24 on Twitter. It says, in each league, who are the favorites, top three or three to five, for rookie of the year, given the skill level and opportunity? So, uh, you know, we're talking about guys who are... In the running to win an opening day roster spots, so maybe some of the guys we just talked about will come up here. But we're going to divide this up: uh, National League and American League. Jim will take the National League. Jonathan will take the American League. We've we've talked about this. We've kind of parsed it in different ways over the past several months. When they put up, when uh, the 2022 rookies of the year came out, we looked ahead to 2023 and said, "Here's everybody's each team's best bet." Uh, for Rookie of the Year in 2023, and then you guys did a draft, I think around the same time, where you guys drafted uh, back and forth, picking the favorites, uh, but independent of league. So now we want to put them into the league categories and uh, kind of handicap each league's favorites entering the season. Let's start off in the National League. Why don't Why don't we go back and forth here, and you guys give us your your front runner for each league, and then we'll go down the line and and end up with five apiece.
2: Okay, are we going five to one or one to five? How, how do you want? Yeah,
0: well, you you're starting it off, so you you determine it. I, I just
2: won't tell. I'll just throw out a name, and I won't tell you.
1: <laughs> I won't tell you. I, I, don't, I think we'll be able to tell.
2: Yeah, I, maybe I. I don't know. Maybe I have like a, a long shot. You know, super uh, super sneaky pick. Okay, I'm, let's go five to one. Okay. 5 We'll go five to one. We'll build the suspense. I'm going to go with K- Kodai Senga of the Mets. who's not on our prospect list because he came over from Japan. But, I mean, you know, this is a guy who starred in Japan. He starred in the World Baseball Classic. He won a gold medal at the 2020 Olympics, which were held in 21, but they're still referred to as the 2020 Olympics, which always confuses me. But, you know, I mean, this is a guy with mid-90s fastball, He's got uh, you know, this wicked fork ball. I think what do they call it? The ghost fork. Um, he, you know, nobody else has a ghost fork. So that there alone should be worth some rookie with your votes. And he's got a cutter, he's got a slider, he throws strikes. Um, he's coming to situation, he's on a team, you know, with the Mets, with Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, where they're not asking him to come in and, and you know, even though he signed a $75 million deal, that he's gotta be the ace. Like I think that'll help him ease in. Obviously, a great team behind him. So I I might actually be selling him a little bit short, but I, I will put Senga at number 5.
0: All right. 30-year-old rookie right-hander is Jim's number 5 in the National League, Jonathan.
1: I want to adjust so people don't get upset because if they take out of context what Jim just said, he's not ranked only because he's coming from Japan. Oh, well, I guess um, I <laughs> which if you take that out of if you take that out of context, what you just said uh, people might get a little uh, a little upset, um, uh, and so it's really because he played professionally there, and he's older, and he doesn't fit the qualifications that we use uh, for for international players. So I just wanted to set the record straight. Which
2: there. is he's not subject to the international bonus pools. Correct. He's treated he, like, a veteran, like a like a free agent. So. Yeah. So anyway, that, yes. Thank you, Jonathan. I don't need people
1: accusing you angry. of xenophobia. The whole nation correct. of Japan yes. getting angry at that me. That is correct. So uh, so I think. I'm kind of going back and forth uh, for my number five guy, but I think I will go with Josh Young of the Texas Rangers. Uh, he certainly has the opportunity, their first-round pick in, in 2019, uh, made it up uh, last year and got his feet wet uh, you know, over not quite 100 at-bats in the big leagues. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that's held him back has been injuries, so he hasn't really played a ton in the minor leagues. He probably would have graduated long ago. Uh, but done nothing but, but hit in the minors. You know, if you look at his minor league career, it's kind of one season's worth, and he's got a, an OPS over 900. He's got, you know, 30 homers. He's hit over 300. Uh, really good idea of what he's doing at the plate. The combination of on-base skills and power, uh, I think, is going to play, and that job is his. So uh, the combination of skills plus opportunity.
2: Okay, I'm gonna go Ezekiel Tovar of the Rockies is my number four National League Rookie of the Year choice. You know Tovar's already been up a little bit. You know he played nine games in September uh, with the Rockies last year at the age of 21. And what I what I like about his chances is he's got a couple things going for him. I mean, obviously he's talented. He can hit. He's got some developing power. Can run a little bit. He's gonna get the course field factor, which is gonna help him. And he's also one of the best defensive shortstop prospects in the game. So let's say Tovar gets off to a slow start and he's hitting 230. He still can be helping the team because he's such a good shortstop. So I, I think he's going to have a hard time losing the job, if that makes sense. And he gets the course field boost. So I'm
1: going Ezekiel Tovar at number four. Back to you, John. I wanted to, I wanted to get one at least one pitcher in here. And, and I consider Grayson Rodriguez we talked about. But I'm going to pick Hunter Brown. Now, the only thing that's a little bit up in the air with Hunter Brown is exactly what role he had because the Astros rotation is ridiculous. Uh, I think he clearly showed that his stuff is going to play in the big leagues coming up last year and, and being lights out and pitching well in the postseason. But I think that even if he is not going to be in the rotation, that he could start and be a multi-inning guy out of the bullpen and have a huge impact that way. And then, if someone goes down, if if they keep him relatively stretched out, uh, then he could eventually step into into the rotation as needed. Uh, the stuff is ridiculous. He does not need to be in the minors anymore. You know, a fastball that touches triple digits, and his and his curveball. Uh, those two pitches are enough uh, as it is uh, to <laughs> to compete in any role that he has and I think that the Astros are going to find a way for him to impact their pitching staff from day one.
2: I'm going to come back with Miguel Vargas as my number three National League Rookie of the Year candidate. I, I think he's one of the best pure hitters in baseball. I think he, he's – it's weird saying this for a guy who's number 37 on our top 100, but I feel like he's a little bit underrated. Uh, he, he's you know never hit less than 308 uh, in a minor league season, and yet I, I don't feel like he gets talked about a lot of being among the very best hitters in all the minor leagues. He's just got to leap back to ball skills. He's not one of these guys, you know, you talk about bloodlines, grew up around the game. His father, uh, Lazaro Vargas, was the DH on Cuba's 1992-1996 Olympic champions. And, and yes, I'm old enough. I covered both those events. I remember his father well. Big-time power. You know, Miguel's growing into power. He's a little better, you know, speed-wise and defensively than he was when he entered pro ball. He's worked harder than those aspects of the games, game. And, and the only the only reason I don't have him higher, although I do have him at number three, is, you know, like I was saying before, and he's got a fractured pinky, like that's not going to keep him out for too long. But he's, you know, A, that lineup's deep. B, Michael Bush is looking for at-bats. James Outman's another rookie he's looking for at-bats. So I think his opportunity isn't as obvious as Senga or Tovar or the guys I have ahead of him. But I think he's such a gifted hitter. I think he's going to get a lot of at-bats and and do well with them.
1: I'm going to uh, go now with a power bat in Tristan Cassis. He's number 23 on our list. Again, another guy who is definitely going to be uh, on that opening day roster. He should be the Red Sox everyday first baseman. Got up late last year. You know, the somewhat scary thing is that as ridiculous as his raw power is, he's still learning how to tap into it. You know, he's, he's a a good hitter, you know, his strikeouts, he's managed to keep his strikeouts relatively low for a guy who has as much power as he has. But you look at his minor league numbers and he has not hit a gazillion homers in the minor. But I think he is the kind of guy who's going to sort of grow into that power once he's in the big leagues. And uh, again, this is a kind of perfect combination of skill set and opportunity. And I think, his left-handed swing at Fenway Park is going to work very well. And he, I mean, he's got power to all fields. So I think that he is going to put up some very good numbers right out of the gate.
2: Okay. My number two pick, the aforementioned Jordan Walker, maybe a little greater diff- degree of difficulty in making the team than some of these guys, because he hasn't played above A, and the Cardinals are a loaded team. But I just think the combination of hitting ability and power are, are very hard to ignore. I think he's also an asset in right field. He moved from third base late last year because Nolan Arenado is at third in St. Louis and isn't going anywhere. Walker, you know, for a guy who's I think what 6'4", 250 pounds, he's he's pretty athletic. He does he do, It's weird. Like I mean, we all saw him in the fall league. He doesn't. I, I wouldn't have guessed two hundred and fifty pounds. Would you guys? No. And, you know, I guess he's six five, but it's like he's it's like a lean two fifty if that makes sense. And he's just such a physical athlete. And, you know, he's got a big time arm for right field. And I just think it's going to be one of those cases where, okay, it might be easier. Like, hey, let's give him some AAA time. We've got some outfield options. I just think he's going to make a very good impression in camp. And even if he doesn't make the opening day roster, I think he's just going to tear up AAA. And they aren't going to be able to, if he doesn't make the opening day roster, I don't think they're going to be able
1: to keep him AAA for too long. All right, so I flipped things around a little bit here because I, I would imagine, and I don't know, but mo- a lot of people would probably have Castles in, in the top two for for American League. But I'm actually putting Logan Ohoppy in the in the, in the the number two spot. Uh, long been a fan since uh, he won the Stenson Award in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, and I'm not just putting him here because he's like a 90 talker on the 20 to 80 scale. Uh, but I think he's one of these guys who is going to continue to show that he is better than... Anyone anticipated, you know, came over to the Angels in the Brandon Marsh trade, went completely bonkers uh, in Double A, made it up to to the big leagues. Uh, you know, I think he's going to have every opportunity to to be their number one catcher. He's a very good catcher, and that's going to keep him in the line, Sort of like Tovar. So that if he's not putting up numbers for, for you know offensively, and I think he will. Uh, He will continue to play just because of how well he works with pitchers, uh, how good he is behind the plate. Uh, He's got a good arm, but the power really started to, you know, starting to show up. And uh, he may be a better big leaguer even than he was a prospect. And so uh, I think he's the kind of guy who, uh, even if he doesn't set the world on fire now, is we're going to look 10 years from now and he's going to have made uh, a number of all star appearances and far exceeded, you know, expectations of him as a prospect. And I'm saying that. And he's our number fifty-three prospect. So obviously we have some high expectations. Well, I think we're we're both going chalk with our number one pick.
2: I I, I feel like there's an obvious guy in each league. And I'll take the obvious guy at number one in the national league, and that would be Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks. I mean, they've they've traded Dalton Varshow in the offseason to create even more room in the outfield. He came up and looked good, looked, you know, like he'd been a big leaguer for a while when he came up and played 32 games last year, you know, shortly after turning twenty-two. I mean, just one of the best – I mean, he's number two on the top 100 prospects list, so it's not like this is a big stretch. But, I mean, he's one of the best all-around tool packages you're going to see. I mean, he's an 80 runner. He's a 70 defender in center. He's one of the best, you know, bat-to-ball, you know, pure hit guys in the minor leagues. He's got solid power. He's got solid arm strength. I mean, it's a pretty complete package. He's already had some success in the big leagues. Um, so, he's an easy pick. And I'm teeing you up, Jonathan, because <laughs> I feel like your guy – Really is also a guy who's a pretty complete package, who's had success in the big leagues. I feel like I know who you're going to pick here as your American League <laughs> top rookie of the year.
1: We're really going out on a limb by taking our number one prospect, Gunnar Henderson. I, I mean, he and Corbin Carroll, I think, are the obvious choices. Like Carroll, Henderson came up last year more than held his own. A really young age, he's only you know, only 21. doesn't even turn 22 until June. He can play short. He can He can play third that they wanted to, but they won't. He could run around the outfield. I think he'll probably play third more often than not. There's power, there's speed. He showed off all of the tools, making it from Double A to the big leagues last year. Uh, he's going to graduate off of our list, uh, as will Corbin Carroll, pretty soon. But uh, about an easy a choice at the, at the top of the AL list, as there could be.
0: All right, so there it is, the top five Rookie of the Year candidates in each league. And I, I will note that it's interesting to me that there are five players in our top 10 overall who are projected to reach the big leagues by 2023, but whose names are not on these lists. Francisco Alvarez, number three, Anthony Volpe, number five, Painter, number six, Grayson Rodriguez, number seven, and Ellie De La Cruz, number 10. And I've got to think that in each of those instances, it's just a case of you guys thinking that the opportunity, either the opportunity is not there right off the bat or they're just, we're not going to see them until later in the 2023 season.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know with the national league list, I felt like there was a lot of depth of National League candidates and I like Francisco Alvarez. I think his bat's ahead of his catching. And the Mets do have a pretty loaded roster, Brett Beatty's competing for at bat. So it was opportunity there, you know, Painter. I, I could see Painter making a huge impact. But he's, you know, hasn't pitched a lot above high A. You know, he has pitched some in Double A, and so I just decided to hedge there. I think it's harder for pitchers to win this award because if your team doesn't play well behind you, um, it's sometimes hard to put up good numbers. You know, Matt Mervis is another one. My my dark horse actually wasn't any of the guys you mentioned. Sal Frelick, who can really really hit and run and play center field, um, I really like Sal Frelick. I, I just ran out of room with my national, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'll just quickly, I'll, I mean, it's the same thing. I, I want, as I said, I wanted to get Grayson Rodriguez on the list, and I may, you know, may regret looking back uh, if he makes that opening day roster, not having him on the list, and maybe he's a better chance than Hunter Brown just because he will start. But I think that uh, you know, with Volpe, it's not as clear cut how he's how he's going to get there. I could see him spending half the year in AAA before coming up. So uh, I think a lot of it is just not having the opportunity to put up uh, enough numbers to to really compete for the hardware at the end of the year.
0: All right. Well, that all came from a question from Aaron Briesick. Thanks very much, Aaron, for that question. And of course, thanks to Chase Dolander for joining us on this episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. And thanks for everybody for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.